our goal since we were kids was to be good. You know, like when it comes to music, we're, we, we work pretty hard at it, you know? It'd be, it'd be cool if like 20 years down the line from now, you know, we're like, hopefully old men. And, uh, and like people are, like still talking about it. it's like good music they made. You know, that's, that's much cooler than yeah. any, any cover or anything, or yeah. someone saying, hey, that was great. You know, it's just something lasting the test of time. That is like the coolest thing in the world, actually. Welcome to No Filler, the music podcast dedicated to sharing the often overlooked hidden gems that fill the space between the singles on our favorite records. My name is Trap. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I was so excited that you're back that I almost said that my name was your name. <laughs> my name is Quentin, and I've got my bro bro, Travis, back with me in spirit. And we're dropping a full-length episode for the first time in weeks, dude, and we're covering the strokes. Is it right to say that I'm with you in spirit, though? Because doesn't that mean like I'm dead? Uh, <clears throat> and, like my spirit is with you? Like I'm just, I'm I'm here. I'm with you right, right now, dude. It's just we're in different states. Okay. All right. How about from this point on, I just say, and with me in another time zone is my bro, bro, Travis. That's fine. So yeah, man, I'm back and I you know, I'm I feel like I'm a little bit rusty. Well, you're rusty and you told me before we started recording that you're struggling with some allergies at the moment. Yeah, I'm I'm on I'm on some drugs that make me cough, so you might hear me cough a little bit. Mm-hmm. But it's better than sneezing, which is what I would be doing if I wasn't on the drugs. So, so I have to you know, so question take, dude. Take it whichever one you want, it's gonna happen. I got a question for you. What? Are you sipping on some scissor? No. No scissor. Scissor is like, you know, that's that's when I, you know, that's what I, whatever. (laughs) I told you I'm rusty, dude. (laughs) I can't come up with my one-liners. This is going to be a problem. Okay. The scissor is is for when you're about to go to sleep and you need to fucking get through the night. No, I don't take sleep aids, dude. It's not a sleep aid, brother. You talking about NyQuil? I'm talking about NyQuil, bro. Dude, why do you think they call it NyQuil? It puts you to sleep. Well, yeah, but that's not what it does. It also, like, it's a decongestant, man. Well, I don't, I, don't, I don't do the hard stuff, dude. <laughs> okay. So, uh, so yeah, uh, I don't know if you, you know, explained where, I, where I've been. I honestly can't tell you why I took two weeks off. Wow. So it comes, dude, the fucking, the moment of truth. You just told me now that you, you've been lying to me. Well, no, I mean, like, I, I was out of town last week. Uh-huh. I don't remember what my reason was for the two weeks ago. Wow, dude. Well, do you know? Because I, I just, I'm just saying I don't remember. I don't remember either. <laughs> I had a reason. I had a reason. It must have, you know, I just must have you been had, You had something going on with, with work. Okay. Uh, like you, like some social event, some social gathering. Oh, uh, that's right. That's right. Yeah, I, I still don't remember yeah. what it was, but whatever. Either way, last week I was in Boston. I was at a uh, a UX design conference for front end developers, and it was that dope. sounds boring, dude. It was dope. Man, we were <laughs> all kidding, about man. fucking inclusive web design. You know, responsive Get out typography. Of here. You guys talked about that. What? You guys talked about that. Get out of here. 
responsive typography, dude. <laughs> the future of fucking CSS grid. You know? Wow. God damn, dude. Wake me up when it's over. It was awesome. But anyway, I'm back and I'm ready to go. We talked about, I feel like we talked about this episode like three weeks ago that we were going to do the strokes and now it's here and I couldn't be more excited. This is one of those bands, man. This was like the band that we were into in like our formative years. Yes. And we got to experience like rock and roll's like last hurrah, I feel like, you know? That's a good way to put it, bro. I really feel that way. I mean, really, that's what... I can't say I feel that way like I'm some genius. Like, that really is, like, what it is. Well, let's put it this way, man, because now I'm thinking about it. What if this Garage Rock revival from the early 2000s, what if this saved rock and roll, man? Well, it did, but, like, where is the rock and roll now, you know? We need another We need another revival. I think rock and roll is doing just fine, brother. It is, but it's not... It hasn't been mainstream, I feel like, since Okay, but what if what if this garage rock revival didn't happen? Then what would rock and roll look like right now, man? Uh, that's a great question. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So for those of you who haven't been keeping up with my ramblings for the last two weeks, um I kind of dove into the history of garage rock. Or I guess the like the genres that led up to the eventuality of garage rock. I covered psychedelia and uh, surf rock. Both came about in the 60s. So Travis, I know you haven't listened to my latest one yet. I'm just going to repeat something that I said and that I think is really important for garage rock coming about. So think about the British invasion that happened in like the 60s. You got bands like the Beatles, the Kinks, uh, the Zombies, the Rolling Stones. These bands to young people were super influential because these, like, especially the Beatles. Think about the Beatles. Well, I don't know for sure what their age was when they started, but they were young, you know, super young, super yeah. young. So you've got these, you know, young impressionable kids in the '60s hearing these bands just fucking explode with popularity. And they think to themselves, I can fucking do that, you know? I can be in a band. And so they, you know, pick up their, their dad's acoustic guitar or they go find some, like, secondhand drum set, get their friends together, and they form bands and practice in their parents' garage. You know, that's where the term garage rock comes from. Um, and I I mentioned that, like, when you break it down or, like, you know, the the basic thing to know about garage rock is that it's going to be super basic chord structures. You know, usually it's an electric guitar or whatever, you know, some distortion. Uh, and it's always unsophisticated lyrics and song structure. And that leads to punk rock and, you know, every all the genres that have split off and broken broken off from psychedelia and surf rock. You know, that's what it comes down to. Just super simple back to the the roots of rock and roll yeah i mean I, f- I feel like that's what for our generation like that's definitely the strokes were that you know they were all of that they yeah. were they even the way that they dressed was you know so thrifty you know thrift store yeah uh type clothing and like simple guitar 
simple, or at least on the surface, it seemed simple. Right. Um, simple drum beats. And then, yeah. And it, 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 it literally made us join bands, you know? Yes. Literally. I think it made it to where it's like, man, you know, anybody can we do it. We can this. fucking do it, man. I mean, freaking Julian's voice, and we'll get into it, obviously. Yeah. It's almost not even a singing voice at no, all, really. No, it's not. No. Um, and that's what made it so so great, just how lazy it was. Yeah. The, the delivery just seems so lazy and like, and lazy sounds negative, but like, it worked, you know? Yeah. Just so like, 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 I don't give two shits, you know? That's the attitude that they kind of gave off. And I feel like the, his voice is like the embodiment of that. And almost like when you watch old live videos of them. It literally seems like he rolled out of bed and just walked on stage. (laughs) Yeah. I want to quote someone real quick. Uh, So their main like producer, uh, you know, the guy that was in charge of recording their stuff back then was a guy named Gordon Raphael. And I'm just going to quote something from him real quick from an interview that he did. Um, I think this is probably around 2001. Uh, But he says, uh, the album Is This It? changed a lot of people's minds about rock music. It changed their listening habits, their love of music, and an inspiration for them to start a band themselves. Uh, and I kind of loosely quoted the end part of that just to make it sound like a complete sentence. But, you know, that's that's it, dude. Like, Garage Rock, and so we were in our early teens when this album came out. So I don't even know if we've mentioned the year, dude. This is 2001 we're talking about. Uh, Early 2000s. I feel like Garage Rock around that time for people our age, uh, you know, early 20-somethings, it did inspire them to to start making music themselves, you know, or it it changed their listening habits, got them back into rock and roll. I think that's what's so important and special about the Garage Rock revival of the early 2000s. Yeah, I remember... Were like where I was when I first saw the strokes like it was it was in our bedroom mm-hmm. watching it on that tiny ass old TV that we had yeah <clears throat> and it was the music video for last night cool and I just remember like just everything about them man was so fucking cool <laughs> yeah you know? and so like accessible yeah the way they presented it, dude, themselves it wasn't necessarily a punk rock look you know like I said earlier, it was like thrift stop, thrift store. It was this stuff. retro vibe that, like, yeah, retro vintage. You the know. Strokes were the first band, or like you know, the first, I guess, famous people that I noticed at that age that were doing like a throwback, like retro kind of style, and we yeah. fucking latched onto that, dude. Hardcore. Oh yeah, oh yeah, definitely. Like I, you know, the reason that I wore. And I didn't pull off the look at all, like when I look back at it. But like the reason I wore a blazer with like the patches on the elbow, right. like I wasn't trying to look like a professor. Like I was trying to look like these guys, you know. Yeah. Like I said, I I don't think I pulled it off, but that's <laughs> I was trying to imitate the strokes, you know. Yeah, yeah. So uh, let's lame, lame. <laughs> <laughs> let's name off the roster, dude. Uh. I don't know if we need to go into the history of these dudes, like their upbringing and whatnot. Uh, so, but the strokes consist of Julian Casablancas. He's the lead songwriter, lead singer, lead everything is something that we'll get into, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, we got Nick Valencia on lead guitar, Albert Hammond Jr. on rhythm guitar, 
Nikolai Fraser on bass and Fabrizio Moretti on drums. Now, if that's not the most New York seriously like, dude. ragtag group of boys. <laughs> Hold on a second. Got to open up this Luden's cough drop here. Jesus. All right. Wild cherry flavor. All right. You better not be smacking, uh, smacking them lips in my ear, bro. Don't worry about it. With all that juicy goodness. Don't worry you about it. You know, that's dude. just candy, right? You're just, that's fine, you're just dude. sucking on a piece of candy. Hey, I don't, I don't care if it works. <laughs> all um, right. So let's, 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 so do we want to touch on the record? Like you had sort of, uh, referenced how Julian was sort of the mastermind behind yeah. all of this. I mean, yeah. it was specifically the first two albums, right? That he was really the main, like he literally wrote all the pieces, all the instruments. It's all him, right? Yeah. So yeah, let's put it this way. Uh, if you're a fan of Foo Fighters and you know anything about Dave Grohl, Julian Casablancas was Dave Grohl for what all the Foo Fighters albums up until uh, there's nothing left to lose. Yeah, Dave Dave Grohl did everything, and when anything any instrument that you hear recorded uh, on a Foo Fighter album up until there's nothing left to lose is Dave Grohl behind those instruments. So, but I don't know if Julian actually is the one playing the instruments on the recordings, but I know that he wrote all the parts on his first two albums. Yeah, he, he you know, from what I've read, he he was an absolute, like, perfectionist. Yeah. So I have a quote. So I think I uh, I first pulled quotes from this book when we were doing the Interpol episode. Yes. Because Interpol, you know, their debut album came out in 2001 as well in New York. They were sort of in the same grouping of these, like, New York rock bands that were in this post-punk revival, uh, you know, grouping, right? Yeah. There's even a chapter called The Class of 2001 in this book, and it's talking about bands like The Strokes, bands like Interpol. But anyway, the book I'm talking about is called Meet Me in the Bathroom, and it's just, which is obviously, that's a Strokes song, right? That's the name of a Strokes song uh, by Lizzie Goodman. Basically, it's about this New York music scene that all of these great bands came out of. Uh, so anyway, here's a quote here. She just interviewed a ton of people, including this guy who, who his name is J.P. Bowersock, and he was the guitar teacher for Julian and Albert. And he said, and this is like, you know, he was a guitar teacher kind of before and like during the recording of Is A Sit, like, you know, when they first joined and were trying to get better at their instrument stuff, he was their guitar teacher. And he has a quote here. He says, what Julian was mostly leaning on me for was that he wanted every note planned out, nothing left to chance. They were one of the first bands I knew that practiced in their rehearsals to a click, like a, like a you know, click track, like a click track. Yeah. Yeah. And not only once a week, but four or five nights a week, they were deadly serious about being super tight. So every note had to be worked out. Julian wanted to work out every note of the guitar solos as well. So that's why this album sounds so freaking tight, right? Well, yeah, dude. Let me let me quote. Uh, shit, I don't know who this is, but I was just going through my notes again before we started recording, and there's something along that, like there there's something to that effect that someone had said, uh, you know, around the time of of the release of Is This It, uh, you know, kind of talking about 
that you know the garage rock revival sound and saying like you know it's it's not like these guys are amazing musicians but you know when you compare them to a band like the white stripes you know when yeah. the, there's a lot of similarities but the thing about garage rock is that like it's got this sort of like dirty quality to it like this lower lo-fi kind of quality to it and that's where like to your point like the white stripes had more of that like edge to them you know yes but the strokes while still doing the garage rock thing it's it's it sounds dirty but at the same time it sounds very tight and like clean almost yeah and that's that's all julian is from what i what i can gather it's his perfectionism yeah, is, yeah. Is where that comes across, you know. Well, let me let me finish this quote here. I, I pulled it up here. So okay. this is from uh, a guy who wrote a review on Pitchfork, uh, and he says um, the difference between the two bands lies in their degrees of skill. The Stripes have an air of amateurishness that belies songwriter Jack White's obvious talents. Right. The Strokes even on their debut album, sound like experienced professionals for whom mastering the form seems only an album away. So Yeah, yeah that's, that's interesting, man, because the guy right there just alluded to how insanely talented Jack White is, right? Like, he's one of the best guitar players uh, ever, and he's one yeah. of the best, like, rock, rock and roll stars of all time, right? Yeah, and I think uh, I but, think with but, this, but it's interesting that like it's almost like it's super like effortless for for White Stripes, and they're almost like like you said, like it comes off as like sloppy amateurish sometimes. But he's super talented, right? And I think what the guy's saying is, you know, you've got the obvious talents of Jack White, but alongside Jack White is drummer Meg White, who yeah. is an amazing drummer in my book, but. I think that's what he's saying. Like the amateurishness comes across with the white stripes as a whole being, you know, mastermind Jack white, but also somewhat sloppy drummer, Meg white versus the strokes. You've got the genius of Julian, but then alongside that, you've got all these other members in the band that have been, you know, practicing uh, and perfecting these songs, you know, as much as Julian has this whole time down to a fucking click track, you know? Exactly. But uh, to me, I feel like that that's Julian, like knowing that hey, we're we're kind of you know we're amateurs, yeah. But let's you know rehearse four or five nights a week, and like get this down. Like every note has to be down perfectly. So even though we're writing these simple songs, like they're gonna sound super polished and like tight and stuff. And they did, you know, that album is just so freaking tight. Well, yeah, and and they're gonna sound that way live too with all this. Exactly. Practice. All right, let's let's play a song, man. Now that yes. we teed this all up here. Just to give you a taste, I feel like this song is good a good intro for the Strokes uh, and everything that they represent in, you know, this Garage Rock revival. So here is track one from the album Is This It, the Strokes debut record. This song is called Is This It? Yeah. 
what a great way for the bass player to to just come in. Yeah. Uh, that bass line, dude. I fucking love it. <laughs> I know. That's why I made the clip as long as it was, because I just had to yeah. wait for that. Doom, 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 doom. What a fucking bass line. He's one of my favorite bass players for sure, dude. Yeah, Nikolai. So, um, dude, anytime I think of, about Nikolai, I think about the tall guy in the back that just stood there and didn't move. You know? <laughs> With the somewhat goofy, like, Bob-looking haircut. Yeah. But that's, I mean, it was all part of it, man. Right. Same with Albert Hammond Jr., dude. Like, Nah, dude, I mean, he would move around. And get he would move it. around, but like, he was unique in, in his own way and how high up he had his guitar strapped that's on That's true. His body, you know what's dude? funny, man? I, I, I played my guitar that high because of him. Because of him, yeah. Yeah, and I remember when I, when I joined that band, Grass Fight, if you guys remember the episode we did with Nathan Forster, uh, where we talked about In Rainbows, that was the lead singer of that band, Grass Fight. But anyway, I remember when I joined Grass Fight, he would be like, why do you have your guitar so high, dude? And I said, it's because of Albert Heyman Jr. of The Strokes. Yeah. And that was the end of that argument right there. Dude, and Albert's a fucking beast on the guitar, I feel like, man. Just with his, like, Well, the other Nick precise- is, is, he's the he's the lead, though. Uh, any solo you hear is, is Nick Valenci. Okay. Just saying. But he's got that tight, like, rhythm guitar yeah. down. You know, he's doing all that rhythm stuff, the really tight stuff. So, yeah. But anyway, I mean, and uh, listening to the song we just played, like it, it's kind of a good intro into like the drumming styles of uh, fucking Fabrizio. Yeah, because like, and like he was a a huge influence on my style of drumming. It's just as basic as you can get, especially in that song, dude. He doesn't even bring in the bass drum. You know, the the he doesn't even step on the bass drum for a while dude it's just it's just hi-hat and snare i mean it Um, must have been really easy for somebody like you who had just picked up the drums recently yeah to be able to sit down and play a stroke song right yep and that's gratifying as fuck dude it's same same with the guitar like same with the guitar i was able to pick up a a guitar and play some of these stroke songs you know pretty quickly because they're so simple and that's what made it so like accessible you know yeah so before we we jump to the next track, let's just talk a little bit more about Julian's voice. Uh, just in that it's like, for for me, it was I I never heard anything like it. Um, and he puts this like slight distortion on his voice, and I don't know whose idea that was. If it was his or you know their their producer, what's his name, Gordon Raphael. I don't know whose idea this was, but. It's just, it's like he's singing through a megaphone, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's like a slight, it's slightly distorted almost, you know? Or like, it just sounds like he's speaking through like a a really poor quality speaker. Well, actually, you know what? I'll just read it now. I was going to save it for later, but I love this quote. Uh, so I'm going to quote from someone named Joe Levy, who did a review on this album for the Rolling Stone back in 2001. He says... Half the time, he seems to be singing through an intercom, like he's buzzing at the door, asking to come into your life. <laughs> <laughs> he's buzzing at the door. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. All right. So let's dive into our next pick. And uh, we're just going to play this whole song, dude. Uh, let's, let's jump to track three on the album. It is called Soma. 
<laughs> I'm glad you played the whole song, dude. I know that, that. Yeah, because I tried to split it up, and I was like, I can't fucking. You can't. I can't leave this part out, and I can't leave this part out. No, dude, because it just builds on top of like each, you know, and like man, the way the drums kind of, kind of come in and out of the song, you know. Yep. He's got that little drum pill that brings him right back in. But it's so easy, man. Yeah, but I mean, and again, like super tight, like we were talking about. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, I was kind of reminded of like we kept talking about this with Paul Banks and the way that he would sing mm-hmm. for Interpol. How you know he's he maybe starts like kind of soft and more monotone, but yes. then he'll go into these moments where he's kind of screaming almost. Like Julian does the same thing. I'm so glad that you said that, man, because I'm going to finish up this quote by Joe Levy from Rolling Stone. Uh, He says, uh, his greatest trick is a pleading tear in his voice that lets him slip around the songs, crooning one second, leering the next, then exploding into a throat shredding shout. I mean, yeah, it really is very similar to how to how Paul Banks would sing. And that's one of the reasons I love Paul Banks, you know? Yeah. And again, we're talking about Interpol here, which was one of those bands that popped up in New York City during this garage rock revival in the early yeah. 2000s. It's we have a whole episode things. on uh, Interpol's debut album, Turn On The Bright Lights, which I believe came out in 2001, right? Yeah. That's what same, I'm saying. This is same the same fucking time. Here, and, man. and it's in New York, too. So, like, yeah. this was just something in the fucking water this, or something. energy, man. yeah. Yeah. Um, so should we just dive right along, dude? Jump into the next pick? Dive right along. <laughs> Let's dive right in, bro. Yeah, man. So, uh, we're going to jump down a few tracks and play track six. This one is called Alone Together. kills it for me here dude he he steals it dude the bass in the song is insane yeah it's insane and like it, it you know he follows the melody of julian like in the verse you know mm-hmm. like right along with the voice of julian uh-huh. you know him and him and the guitar player whichever one's doing it have got that like really great riff that they're doing kind of in sync with each other yes uh just, you know, this is like, you know, 
when I go back and listen to this album, it's songs like this that stand out to me as the more like the more interesting songs of of theirs, you know, because they're more they have a darker vibe to them. They're not as like up upbeat and like more poppy as like maybe like last night, you know. Yeah, one of the singles. which is their single, which everyone knows. I think yeah, everyone knows last night. I think you're right. And yeah, I want to actually read some of the lyrics here, dude. Because like you said, and I, I'm with you, it's the more darker songs that I appreciate more in the album. Uh, so I'm just going to jump to the chorus. He says, take me away. See, I've got to explain things. They have changed in such a permanent way. Life seems unreal. Can we go back to your place? Oh, you drink too much. Makes me drink just the same. Damn. So he was only twenty three uh during during this like the recording of and, and or at least when this album came out. So like he you know, he's a young man, probably doing stupid young man stuff, you know. <laughs> yeah. But uh yeah, so you were saying earlier that like one of the markings of garage rock is that the lyrics are really simple, you know. Uh, yeah, and sophisticated lyrics and song structure. That's yeah. just quoting from Wikipedia. Sure. Um, but yeah, uh, I'm going to jump down to verse two because this is my favorite line or my favorite several lines. Uh, this is my favorite part in any stroke song. He says, he knows it's justified to kill to survive. He then in dollars makes more dead than alive. Let's suck more blood. Let's run three hours a day. The world is over, but I don't care. You didn't play that part, did you? I played the whole song. Wait, didn't yeah, you I? Didn't. You're right. Okay, so let's just play that then. Yeah. So, so here is clip two. It's got a a, a part. It's got part of verse two on there, and then it uh, fades to the end of the song. guitar solo there is is pretty simple like if you really think about it pretty simple guitar solo but still like but effective super effective and dude and that's another thing that i appreciate about this garage rock revival i mean i feel like for the most part 
you know, with the exception of these, you know, bands that that came about in the early 2000s, the guitar solo was something that that is kind of lost even to this day. Like you don't hear guitar solos that much anymore. Yeah, <clears throat> but they brought it back, you know. They brought it back, yeah. This this uh you know, these the era of like this garage rock post-punk revival in the early 2000s, like they brought guitar solos back. You know, it's interesting cuz like I've always thought, like, man, guitar solos, they really died in the 70s, you know? Yeah. As far as, like, you know, of course, heavy metal, you, you want guitar solos? Listen to heavy metal. <laughs> yeah. Always have guitar solos forever and always, you know, there's always guitar solos in heavy metal. But as far as, like, you know, there weren't too many guitar solos, really, with, like... Well, the, the 70s brought about disco, and then 80s brought in dance music you know and and uh electronic music you know i you know, i don't know why i just for, for some reason i always associate good rock music with with the 70s i think what i what we mean is like bands like yes or bands like you know we're steely dan like really complicated rock song structures i feel like that died in the 70s yeah like the, the rock's uh, always been there. The, the allman brothers and yeah right yeah yeah, and that's that's why I feel like, you know, maybe this revival, you know, kind of had a, a lasting impression on rock and roll as we know it today, you know? Bands like the White Stripes and the Strokes and uh, Interpol, you know, they brought brought us back to the roots, especially the White Stripes, you know? And so they weren't one of the bands from New York, but, you know, it's it, bringing you back to the, the super simple, stripped down blues and rock and roll, you know? Yeah, right. All right, so we got one more song to play for you on this album. This is one of my favorites, if not my favorite on the record. This is track 10 of the album. It's called Trying Your Luck. That song gives me chills every time, dude. Yeah. So let's let's just put it this way, man. The Strokes is one of those bands that the only way they were able to pull off this like this simple of a style of rock was with each member of the band doing their part, you know? 
you can't you, that song may not be as like intense you know and emotional if you didn't have for one obviously julian's voice but like the bass line and the repetitiveness and simplicity of the drum beat like just driving the song the thing about the the simplicity of the drums and the guitar i feel like the bass lines are always a little bit more complicated like he's yeah he's sort of you know He's providing such a such a mood to this to each song, man. Yeah, kind of like he's kind of the secret weapon. I feel like. Yeah. But uh, yeah, again with with the way that that Julian, you know, just like with Paul Banks, man, like he will try to hit these notes that he maybe shouldn't be trying to hit. Right. You, to, you know what I mean? It, you know, if you were to like assess him from like a, I don't know traditional singing style or something yeah. but it works because it's it's got this emotion behind it you know especially on this song man it's more of like this like this uh laid back delivery in a bit, it, you know? like you said earlier man it's like he just literally just got up out of bed and walked straight into the recording room it's yeah. like it's it's almost like the words or he's kind of dragging the words out of his mouth yeah, it's you like know, but, he's mumbling them. But then on a dime, he'll turn around and just start screaming. It's just so effective, you know. It's very effective. And you had mentioned Paul Banks. I think he had said like he gives credit to like Scotch or something for uh, his voice. Yeah, uh, that's because the studio that they recorded in was like it was cold. Like it was this abandoned mental institute or something. Wait, or so he so he drank Scotch to warm up? Yeah. That's hilarious. In the studio. But that's one of those things where it's like, man, uh, that's what helped his voice have that sound. And the only reason he did it was because their their recording space was cold. Yeah. So it's like all this shit just lines up, you know? I don't know what the story is with Julian and his voice. I think that's just well, how Well, I only brought that up because I'm almost positive that, that Julian was a heavy drinker or is a heavy drinker. Yeah, sure. Um, oh, dude, it's guaranteed that they were drunk. <laughs> yeah. They were, they were drinking alcohol during the recording. Oh, session. and they were probably no drunk both concerts, you know, both times we've seen them live, they were probably drunk. So anyways, let's wrap this up. We got one more clip from Trying Your Luck. just what i love about them is just how simple they are man yeah i mean that sounds that sounds like a little too 
surface level or whatever, but like. But I feel like the point you're trying to get at is that you can't be a band like the Strokes if you're not extremely well practiced and, you know, basically metronomed in your delivery, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, to, you know, that's what they were doing with the click track. I mean, that's why it was so on point or whatever. Yeah. Because they, Julian had him pra- like, you know, practicing, you know, four or five nights a week, you know, and I also read that they, you know, he was pushing for like 13 hour studio sessions and stuff like that. Like he was the driving force behind this record, like no doubt about it. Yeah. So I've got some other interesting, like really interesting notes here about how uh, perfect of a match. You said his name was Gordon Raphael, right? Yeah. So the producer, like him and, and, and Julian were kind of on the same level uh, as far as like, like they spoke the same language. Like uh, I've got some quotes, some more quotes here from this book. This is from Julian. He says, Gordon just had the right ingredients for us. We tried to do the same songs with other people and they sounded totally stale. Gordon is the king of understanding abstract information. You'd get further by saying, could you make it sound more yellow than you could saying, take out the bottom end or something. He'd get what you were trying to say. And then the manager of the Strokes, Ryan Gentles, kind of goes on along the same lines. He says, Gordon is such a great interpreter of musicians. Julian won't say, that hi-hat is too trebly. Turn the bass up or the treble down. He'll say, I need the hi-hat to sound like the rich guy who hangs out at the party and doesn't talk to girls, waits for them to come and talk to him. And Gordon's like, okay. That's almost <laughs> verbatim how I've heard him describe a hi-hat sound. Oh, that's it's, so cool, man. Here's another example. It's too much like the way a sleeping bum smells on a Friday night when he's had too much <laughs> booze. I don't want it to smell like that. Gussy it up and shave him. That's the snare drum sound I want. Oh my god, man! So there he said he he talks in in analogies like that, and Gordon understands them. But dude, I mean, imagine being anyone other than Gordon and Julian saying shit like that, and you're like, "What the fuck are you talk? I don't know what you want from me." Right? Yeah, dude, it's a perfect pairing. No, and I've got another quote from Gordon uh, in this interview that he did, and the way he put it for "Is this it?" They they did it live. They made a mess of it. They had some fun and they let the energy come out. So they recorded it live. And that's, dude, that just goes back to how amazing these guys are, how talented they are. Despite how simple it is, you know, like you said, for us being in our early teens, just picking up a pair of sticks and picking up a guitar, for us, it was great to be able to play along with these songs. Yeah. And that's what that's part of what that garage rock sound is, just back to the right. basics. That's literally what it means. It's anybody can pick up a guitar. Yep. That's what it's all about. You it's know, a beautiful pick up thing, some dude. sticks. It's a beautiful thing. Let's finish it on that note, dude. Um it's good to have someone to, to talk to again, man. I felt like I was losing my mind. I'm back, baby. One of my <laughs> one of my friends that I work with, she listens to our our podcast and she's like you know, yeah, it was almost like you were turning to Travis and he wasn't there. <laughs> like, and how I was, like, my delivery. <laughs> You're like, hey, isn't that right, Travis? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, as always, hop on our website, nofillerpodcast.com. There you can find our show notes and all the other goodies that we've got on there for you. All right, so I figured for our outro, and this is kind of a uh, 
a cop out maybe because it's too easy but we're gonna fade us out with some velvet underground uh from my favorite album of theirs i guess you can call it the banana album or the andy warhol record the one with the banana on it um so many of these velvet underground songs are just dripping with the strokes you know like you can really hear the influence more so than just in julian's uh vocal delivery but like in the simplicity of the music and all that this is part of that psychedelia emergence i guess that happened in the 60s part of you know what led to garage rock so we're gonna fade out with their song i'm waiting for the man from their 1967 album the velvet underground and nico and until next time my name is quentin my name is travis i'll take care dollars in my hand up to Lexington 125 feel sick and dirty It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.